Most of us, when we go to persuade someone, use the approach that would work on us. <laughs> but hilariously, you're not trying to persuade yourself, you're trying to persuade the other person. So you can't do what would work on you, you have to do what would work on them. That's Michelle Bowden, speaker, communication skills coach, and author of How to Persuade. And this is WNA Trailblazers. WNA Women's Network Australia. Trailblazers. WNA Trailblazers, amplifying the stories of women in business. Hosted by Women's Network Australia CEO Cheryl Gray and me, Louise Poole, managing partner from podcast and content production business. Welcome Change Media, proud media partner of Women's Network Australia. We've all been in that sales situation where the salesperson is doing their best to convince us that their product is the one we should buy. In their mind, they've listened, they've evaluated, and now they just need to close the deal. If only we'd comply. Persuasion probably isn't what you think it is. And we've all got our own Da Vinci code that unlocks our receptiveness if what the speaker is saying is really something that we can agree with. Trailblazer Michelle Bowden has written books and regularly holds seminars around presentation and persuasion, and she's Cheryl's guest in this episode. So Cheryl, let's talk about persuasion then. Would you consider yourself to be a persuasive person? Look, I think we all have to be persuasive in this day and age, whether it's from convincing someone to buy whatever it is you're selling or convincing your family to eat the tea you've cooked. (laughs) We've really got to work hard sometimes at persuading people to take action, to listen, to consider our points of view. So yeah, look, I really think Michelle is onto something very important. She spent a lot of time focusing in the past on presentation skills. And in fact, her book on how to present has been re-released in November. So her focus around presentation skills is not just how to do a good PowerPoint and how to stand correctly, Mm. but it's really about the art of persuasion. And certainly in business, that is a really important skill to master. Well, she's definitely persuaded you to read the whole book because I'm impressed after kind of spoiler alert, because I've already heard the conversation, but uh, you have thoroughly gone through and it's a deep discussion on persuasive techniques. It's a really well-written book, I'd have to say. It's published by Wiley and a lot of us will remember Wiley as the publishers of our school textbooks. Certainly a lot of us had a Wiley Atlas or, you know, one of those books at school, but don't get the impression it's a, a hard textbook. It's a really engaging, easy read with lots of practical examples that I think we can all relate to in different scenarios. So yeah, I really did enjoy reading Michelle's book and I think it's one of those ones that you can keep and dip back in to and hone certain parts of your persuasive skill. I think, yeah, there's a really important distinction as well that she makes about people thinking persuasion is about manipulation because it's actually being able to confidently convince people of your perspective. Yes, and I think we also, in that same discussion, we'd start to reconsider sales. And of course, sales is a really important business skill. But often when we think about sales, we think of sort of swami used car salesmen and Mm. and trying to sell us something we really don't want. But the art of sales and the art of persuasion is often about acknowledging that people have a problem that they need solved. And I think Michelle just helps to give us some techniques to feel comfortable 
people in the way we present, the way we talk, and the way we hopefully solve a problem that exists, whether it be a consumer, a buyer, or just someone that we're talking to in everyday conversation. I think that we need to hear from Michelle now then, because you've persuaded me. We've got to listen. Well, tip number one, listen to Michelle. Oh, you got a little bit cheeky too and started off by asking who the most persuasive person is at Michelle's house. Oh, it's definitely me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess you have to say that, don't you? Yeah, that's it. That's it. But let me say that I have definitely taught those three young women to be very assertive and clear about what's right and what's wrong in life. So I'm very proud of that too. Just tell us about how you've got to where you are because whilst we are talking specifically about persuasion and the skills you need to be a persuasive individual. You've also done a lot in terms of professional speaking, communication, and particularly presentation skills. I've always been a good presenter. I represented my school in high school at debating, and I was always the third speaker on the negative team, so I probably was the best at that. I was very persuasive from about the age of eight. I was a very shy child, very shy to hide behind my mum's legs. And one day something happened, and I just thought, this is not the way forward for me when I was eight. So weird, isn't it? So young. What, what was the something the age that happened? Of eight, Can you recall? Oh, this, yeah, this girl was just really nasty to me. <laughs> in What would that have been, like third grade or something like that? And mm-hmm. she was just so, so feral, so, such a bully. She was so nasty to me. And I suddenly thought to myself, do you know what? I'm not going to have any friends. And I was like, reinvent myself. And I went from being a very shy, little, quiet thing to being a bit more confident and assertive and connected to the people around me. And I made more of an effort to get out there and meet people and talk to people and make friends and make people feel good. And did that from the age of eight. When I was 22, I was working for Lendlease, the big construction company. And I was sitting there in this job and I didn't really love it. I hadn't been there very long. I'd only been there about three months. And I thought to myself, you know what? These people in this company, they need a training department and they need a trainer and they don't have one. So, you know what? I'm going to write a proposal to the manager. So I'd been to university, I'd studied a degree and I knew how to write well from having to write so many essays at uni and I put this proposal together at the, honestly, the gumption of me, don't you think, Cheryl, at the age of 22? Absolutely. Saying to them, I think you need a training department and this is why and I want to be the trainer and you're going to have to hire me a boss and off we go. And you know what? They hardly deliberated. They read that proposal and they accepted it almost on the spot. They made a training department, they made me the trainer, they gave me a boss and they paid for me to go and study a master's of adult education. So in in both of those (laughs) cases, you sort of had a crossroads, weren't you? You sort of went, well, I could, you know, take up karate and take on this other girl who's given me a bit of a hard time in the playground, (laughs) or I can learn to use my voice and speak up and and become a more confident, persuasive person. And then in in the case of your example in Lend-Lease, again, you saw an opportunity, it probably was a crossroads, and you just decided to take it. They're really significant moments. They have been. And I think that's probably my greatest ability is to, I very quickly get the sense that something's not right here. And then I make a positive change to improve it. So if something isn't working, if my kid's not happy in school, I change their school. If the client isn't working well with me, I tell the client I'm overbooked and can't work with them anymore. (laughs) 
So Mm -hmm. I just, Mm -hmm. I do make decisions quite quickly that I'm not one to wallow around and catastrophize about the misery of it all. I'd rather just take action to improve what's going on, to better the situation. And then obviously out of that crossroads that you were at, you went on, as you say, very much to train yourself, but also then train others in presentation skills and how to present. And you went on to write your book about how to present. And now you've written a book about how to persuade that's Which it. is the most important skill for business? Isn't Should we be? You know, clients ask me that all the time, Cheryl, because they have to decide which book to buy for their people. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm sure you've got a fantastic two-for-one offer. It's the same skill, in my opinion. Every time we communicate, we are presenting, whether we think of it Uh as a presentation or not, whether we're having a conversation, whether we're writing a business case or an email, whether we're pitching or tendering for something. To me, that is presenting. Presenting is any form of communication, one-to-one, one-to-few, one-to-many, where your objective is to change the audience's thinking or behaviour. So we are always presenting. It was about, oh, look, probably about two or three years into running my persuasive presentation skills masterclass that I started running 23 years ago. And I thought to myself, you know, there's a niche within a niche here. What I'm good at teaching people to do is not just public speaking, which is really how to stand and deliver a message. What I'm good at is showing people how to use their skills to persuade the other person in the presentation to think, feel, or do something different to what they were thinking, feeling, or doing a minute ago. So I niched within the niche into persuasive Uh presenting. So to me, presenting and persuasion are actually the same thing. If you're presenting well, whether it's a eulogy, whether it's a 21st speech, whether it's your bridesmaid speech, whether it's a presentation at work to get $400,000 worth of endorsement for an idea you've got, to me, it's all about persuading the audience to change their behaviour or their thinking in some way. And in the book, you describe yourself as having a high predisposition to persuade. Yes. Can, can you just yes. explain that, what that means and how do we yeah. know if we have it? I love talking about the P2P, which is the predisposition yes. to persuade. So this is your hair factor. Think about a dinner party and you've got all the friends around the table and you've got that person who's your girlfriend who is just very noisy. <laughs> And she's holding court. Everybody's listening to her and they're laughing at everything she's got to say. And she's driven to persuade you to her way of thinking. So the subjects we shouldn't talk about in public like tax, religion and sex, isn't it? <laughs> Something like that. Uh, so someone raises climate change, for example, as, a, as, a, as an issue. And that girlfriend of yours, she's right up in her high horse and she's telling everybody, no, no, no. What you've got to know is this. What you've got to believe is this. That person has a very high predisposition to persuade. They don't want to leave the the table until everybody sees it their way. And honestly, it's whilst it's fun to test this, it's not actually an indicator of how persuasive you are because you will also know, Cheryl, that that person sometimes ends up, everyone thinks they're a little bit silly. <laughs> everyone just has yes. a bit of a laugh at them, like almost like they're a bit of a joke because they're, and, they're and very so, And sometimes they can really go don't too believe far. Them. Oh, yeah. Yes, and, and absolutely. You know, <laughs> that, that tipping point. That's it. That's it. And they will go over the tipping point. Someone with a high predisposition to persuade will go often go over the tipping point. They don't care if they're hurting people's feelings or if they're talking over the top of people. They are driven to persuade you to their way of thinking. It's very interesting in my life. I have a very high predisposition to persuade. 
it's 96%. It's extraordinarily high. I am driven to change someone's mind. Wouldn't it be amazing if we had a dinner party of high P2Ps all in the room? What what Lots sparks would fly? <laughs> That's it, sparks, because everyone's talking over the top of each other and some people aren't listening very well. <laughs> Now, my husband, on the other hand, is like a wizard. He has a very low predisposition to persuade. It's way below 50%. He is not driven to change your mind. He has his own opinion and he's very firm in his convictions. He's highly intelligent, but he is not driven to persuade you to see it his way. So at the dinner party, my husband won't talk up. He'll almost melt into the background of the dinner party and he's very happy to laugh along with people and listen to what everyone's saying. And then when he does speak, Maybe you have this friend too, Cheryl. When he does speak, it's like a wizard is talking. Everyone is quiet and you could hear a pin drop in the dinner party. While my husband talks, everyone sits back and nods their head and reflects upon what he is saying. So do you see, even though he has a very low predisposition to change your mind, he's actually incredibly persuasive when he does talk because he waits until he's got something meaningful to say and then he says it with great elegance. It's not how persuasive you are, it's how driven you are to change people's minds. So persuasion doesn't necessarily equate to success or success in the sense of an outcome? Or is it that our definition of persuasion is sometimes not what we think it is? Yes, I think most people don't define persuasion correctly, actually. So when it comes to the science of influence, and we're talking about influence here, not influencer, you can do this without a six pack spray tan and a TikTok account. There's five ways that we go about doing it. Two of the ways are aggressive. They're what we call forcing and directing. Two of the ways we influence are passive, that's modeling and guiding. And then one of the ways in the middle is the assertive approach, and that is persuasion. So often people ask me, what's the difference between persuasion and influence? Well, persuasion is a subset of influence. It's one way we go about influencing people around us. And actually, all of us oscillate on the continuum from aggressive, passive, and back again, and through the assertive way of persuasion all day, depending on how much you care about the outcome and how much time you've got. So the example I often talk about is you've got a three-year rolled in the back seat of your car and you pull into the traffic lights and turn your head to check that they're safely strapped in and you notice the child has unstrapped themselves and they're having a party on your back seat of your car. What words would come out of your mouth <laughs> in that moment when you notice the child had, was unrestrained? You've got limited time. You care a lot about the outcome. You'd probably say something like, put your seatbelt on now. You'd be quite aggressive, forcing and directing the child to re-click in the seatbelt. That's a really, again, another really in interesting example because Sometimes we lose control or not lose control, mm. but we respond before we've had the opportunity to think. So what That's that it. intuitive, persuasive or responsive behaviour is, is, is always going to come out, isn't it? That's it. And so you do tend to move out of persuasion and into forcing and directing when you've got limited time and you care a lot because you become a bit more directive about the instructions you're giving. So, you know, you've got a deadline at work. The person that works for you in your team is taking too long and you might find that you say oh, come on you know we're in a hurry here we've got to meet the deadline by five let's go let's go but you're in that moment you are forcing and directing it can be seen as manipulation when you move into either the aggressive or the passive approach to influence so that's something to be very mindful of it is actually impossible to be simultaneously manipulative and persuasive you are either manipulating which means you're passive or aggressive or you're persuading which means you are assertive if that makes sense i think 
people do misunderstand what persuasion is. They, a lot of people think persuasion is manipulation and they're actually completely the opposite thing to one another. And that also people get confused about the difference between persuasion and influence. And persuasion is simply a subset of influence. You can influence in many ways. One way is by persuading the other person. And I, I like to think of persuasion as where there is a measure of freedom in the decision-making process of your stakeholder. So the person doesn't feel pushed or manipulated or coerced into doing something that they didn't want to do. At the end of the moment, when everyone gets on with their life, if you were to reflect, you don't have that kind of buyer's remorse, that yucky feeling either that you as the persuader used some sort of underhanded means or the person themselves doesn't feel that they were forced or pushed into doing something that now they regret. Persuasion is like a win-win. I'm keen to understand what the relationship is between persuasion and trust in terms of influencing that outcome. We're not all persuaded the same way. We're all, as humans, we're all different people with different needs. So there are four main approaches to persuasion. And I suppose the funny thing about persuasion is that most of us, when we go to persuade someone, use the approach that would work on us. But hilariously, you're not trying to persuade yourself. You're trying to persuade (laughs) the other person. So you can't do what would work on you. You have to do what would work on them. And one of the approaches is called the commanding eagle. And the commanding eagle is someone who has an innate drive to persuade by establishing personal authority. In other words, they are the expert. When you see someone like that walk into a room, they have a presence about them. They are confident, believable, and to your question, they are very trustworthy because Mm -hmm. they have the runs on the board. And when they talk, you can just sense this huge amount of experience. If you've ever seen an eagle in its courting phase in the sky, eagles don't just, when they're courting, don't just soar around on the thermals, the wind currents up in the sky. Eagles perform a spectacular plummeting courtship ritual where they tumble and free fall out of the sky. They own the space. They own the room when they're in a workplace or even in a social situation. And yes, so trust is what it's all about (laughs) because that you just can sense that they know what they're talking about. The friendly budgie. Tell us about the friendly budgie. (laughs) Yeah, if you don't mind me just quickly explaining at the risk of everyone thinking I'm full of pop psychology. (laughs) So I've been incubating on my nest for over 20 years trying to work out how to help my clients that are pitching for big $700 million deals, how to help my executives pitch to their board, how to help executives pitch to their teams. And I just, I wanted to help these people be more persuasive. And I think step one of becoming more persuasive is know yourself. How are you best persuaded? And therefore, what approach comes naturally to you when you're trying to persuade all the people around you? So we created a psychometric assessment tool, something called the Persuasion Smart Profile with a team of statisticians and psychologists in the UK. And it effectively helps you to assess where you are strong and where you are weak when it comes to the four approaches. So that's step one. The step two is to be able to pick it in other people. And, you know, we've all done all these psych tests in our lives. I just feel there's a lot of them around. And Mm -hmm. if in the persuasive moment, because you're under a bit of time pressure or you're stressed, it might actually be too hard to work out what is the preference of that person that you need to persuade in this moment. And that's why we came up with these birds. The four birds have characteristics that 
clearly map to the characteristics of the four persuasive approaches. So we have the wise owl, the commanding eagle, the friendly budgie, and the captivating peacock. And if you think about all of the characteristics of those four birds, yes, they do, in fact, ideally correlate with those four approaches to persuasion. You've also looked at persuasion and these types of personality traits or personalities in team settings. If we're in an organisation where we want to be persuasive as a group, how important Mm. is it to have more than one bird in your flock? The way this works is that whilst all of those four approaches may be of value to us, to all of us, we tend to have a preference for one, two or even three of them. So you won't just be a budgie or just be an eagle. You're likely to be a combination of a variety of the different birds. So back to the steps for becoming persuasion smart. Step one is know yourself. What are your preferences and how are you most likely to be persuaded and therefore what's your strength when you go to persuade others? Step two is having a deep sense of what is required by the other person and then being able to flex or adapt your approach to meet their needs. What do they need? Give it to them. Step three is to build your persuasive muscles. So this is really the answer to your question, Cheryl. To build your persuasive muscles so that you are actually strong in all four of the bird types. We all should be strong in all four. The reason for that is that much of the time that we're persuading, we're actually just going through life and not even realizing that what we just did was persuade. I mean, I was at a, I was presenting at a conference yesterday and there was a girl at the table who didn't want sparkling water when we went for lunch. And the way she explained to the waiter that she wanted still water, in my opinion, was a persuasive moment. The waiter looked discombobulated that someone would want still water. It was sparkling water in the jug and that was what the waiter wanted to give everyone. They were not interested in the fact that still water could be an option. Do you see, even in that moment, you are persuading someone. Yes. And at the time, you're not thinking to yourself, oh, I'm in a persuasive moment because I want still water. So if you can, there are actually 10 actions for each of the four birds, which equals 40 actions. And I know that sounds like just too much to care about. The good news is that really a lot of the behaviours that we need to get better at are very easy things to do immediately. You don't even have to learn them. You can just start doing them. For example, we should all say because more often. It's the number one persuasive word in the world. We should not say the word but when we're communicating with people because it activates the mammalian brain, puts them into a fight-flight response, and then they argue with us. We should put numbers, not bullet points, when we send an email or put slides up because owls care about the logic of an argument and need numbers, not bullet points. Do you know what I mean? There are some simple things that we can all do right now to be instantly more persuasive. And that's what it is to sort of flex your persuasive muscles so that you've got more of the skills and can therefore persuade more people more of the time. And then step four of becoming persuasion smart is adapting or flexing your style to give the other person or the other people what they need. And most of the time, we're not persuading one person at a time. We've got 10 people in the meeting and they'll be all a variety of different combinations of birds in the birdcage. So if the more we can really bring those 40 actions into our skill set and sort of unconsciously competent at all of those things, then without even thinking, we're going to be persuasive. Super conscious of my use of the word but from now on. Oh, yes. Because it obviously it does sort of trigger, ah, well, there's an alternative here. I won't follow 
all along. It negates everything you just said and it causes conflict. So one of the best things you can do if you're in conflict with someone is avoid the use of the word but. So for anyone that's listening to this, if you have just listened to what Cheryl's saying and thinking, yeah, I agree with Cheryl, I really want to get rid of but, the best way of getting rid of it is to replace it with another word. And you want an inoffensive, unemotive joining word like and or so. It's not correct English to say and or so. The thing is, we're not trying to speak correct English here. We're trying to speak persuasively. So we forego the correct English, which is the word but or however, and we replace it with the incorrect English, which is and or so. And in that way, we diffuse the conflict out of the conversation or the email. Clearly, I've spent too many years writing rather than speaking. And I I use my rules of writing rather than my rules of persuasive speaking, which is really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I've got a daughter in year 12. And of course, if she didn't say but, she'll get a lower mark in her advanced English essays. She's got to say but. We're not trying to speak correct English when we try and speak. If I said to you, Cheryl, um, you look so great in that frock today. It just really suits you. The colour is vibrant. You look terrific. You just look so healthy and well. It's just a great choice for you. But I'd love to see you in a navy one. That's right. It's a real downer to have that but at the end. And in a performance appraisal for anyone that's listening, you're so amazing. You did this. You met your KPIs. You achieved X result for our company. But we need you to focus on this now. Oh, dear. That person's looking on seek.com if you performance manage them like that. Fantastic tips. And there's plenty <laughs> more in the book, obviously. <laughs> but uh, oh, oh, oh. Um, just, <laughs> I, I, you've just got me going. I can't stop. Tell me about storytelling and where does storytelling fit into our persuasive toolkit? Mm. Everyone needs stories, owls, eagles, budgies and peacocks. And the story needs to be adapted to the needs of whoever you're persuading. Owls need stories that include case studies, external proof that the message you're conveying is to be believed. Eagles need the story to be about you and your achievements and your credibility, your runs on the board. Budgies love stories that make everyone feel good, where there's a positive outcome. Something was sad and then something lovely happened at the end of the story and now we all feel terrific. (laughs) And peacocks need the story to be emotionally evocative, a roller coaster. I was worried. I was optimistic. I was relieved. Then I was joyful. Then I was jubilant. (laughs) What are the emotions you're taking them on? Peacocks need the emotional highs and lows. There is a model for telling a good story in business and it's a very simple storytelling model. It's called the Magic Formula Story and it comes from Dale Carnegie who wrote that very wonderful and famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And the formula is simply this, incident point benefit, IPB. Incident is where you tell the story. So you know, Cheryl, you've probably got friends who are good storytellers. I'm sure you are too. And the person tells the story, tells the story, tells the story, and you're saying, get to the (laughs) point. So point is the second part of it, incident point. And the point relates to the story as you told it. It's about the people and the characters in the story. And then the third part of it is the benefit because we've all had people tell stories to us. And at the time, especially at work, we're thinking, oh, that was a great story, but what the hell has it got to do with anything we're talking about here? Did they just waste my time? Perhaps contrary 
commercially, are we overusing the storytelling model? Cheryl, you are my spirit animal, honestly. (laughs) I completely and utterly agree with you. I do think that there's an over-focus on storytelling. As a presentation skills trainer who runs a very life-changing and amazing training course every single week of my life, I rarely teach storytelling in it. And the reason is there are so many other things you've got to get good at if you want to be an amazing, persuasive presenter that storytelling isn't even it. I do still think you need to follow the incident point benefit. My great philosophy is that a technique exposed is a technique lost. If you are so obviously telling a story that people can even track, well, that was the incident, now that was the point, and now here comes the benefit, then I suggest that you need to practice your storytelling a little bit more and you might want to read my chapter on some of the important things about storytelling like keep it short you're taking too long if people are starting to track for the process <laughs> your story is taking too long they're, they're sitting there going like to... wait for it wait for <laughs> it here it comes it. that's so funny the other thing is i think we need to really be connected to our stories and sometimes it's just so obvious isn't it that the person's insert story here <laughs> Yes. And you don't want to do that. Yes. The other thing you definitely don't want to do is warn the audience. Let me tell you a little story. Oh, my God, everyone <laughs> groans and goes, please don't. Yes. Please don't tell yes. me your story, <laughs> especially if it's you and me in the audience, Cheryl. These are terrific <laughs> tips and you can get more tips and incredible information from Michelle's book, How to Persuade, the skills you need to get what you want. But, Michelle, where else can people contact you or find out more? I know you have a lot on your website and your blog. Can you mm. just tell us where? Yeah, I've got a lot of really wonderful free content on my www.michelle.com michellebowden.com.au. I'm very active on LinkedIn, posting all sorts of fabulous tips for presenting and persuading weekly. So I'd love to hear from listeners if you found this helpful or if you have any further questions. It's my pleasure to make you more persuasive. Michelle, thank you so much for your time and we look forward to the re-release of How to Present and look forward to talking to you again. Oh, it's just been such a delight to talk to you, Cheryl. You are so good at this. Michelle was a great find for you to get, Cheryl. Uh, but I feel like we've both been called out on our use of the word but um, since then. And we have been called out. Exactly right, Louise. I did not realise how many times I used the word but until Michelle pointed it out in that conversation. And, you know, I really struggled after that to actually come up with sentences that didn't start <laughs> with the word but. <laughs> that was so interesting, though, because I didn't consider that. But, it, yeah, the fact that it's a negative, it negates that thing that you just said. If you could see me, mind blown emoji. That's my face right now. I agree. I agree. And I look, I was feeling really terrible, I'd have to say, when she kept pointing that out. But what I also liked was she quite rightly pointed out that the use of the word and in the written form would be incorrect. So I've probably grown up spending all of my time very much focusing on writing mm. and correct use of language in the written form. But of course, when we're trying to persuade someone in the way that we're talking. So very different style and totally different set of rules. And now we need to use the word and what? And we could check out a copy of Michelle's book for more information. We absolutely could. And I think it's a great tool, not just for people in business, but for anyone. And as I said, it's a really easy read. She's done an amazing job and yes, definitely worth picking up. So Michelle's book is called How to Persuade, the skills you need to get what you want. And we can find more information about Michelle at michellebowden.com.au. 
you. And Cheryl, how can we find more information about Women's Network Australia? I'm glad you asked, Louise, as you always do. You can find out more information about Women's Network Australia at our website, womensnetwork.com.au, or on all your favourite social media platforms. And of course, if you're listening to this podcast, you'll know exactly where to find more episodes. And don't forget to leave us a review and give us a thumbs up. Please do. We've been really impressed by the feedback from the initial episodes. So we love to hear from listeners and we want to hear from them about the feedback that they get from sharing information about these trailblazing women. And the other thing is, if people have suggestions on trailblazers that they'd like to hear us chat to, I think send that through. Absolutely, Louise. Drop us a line at wna at womensnetwork.com.au. We love hearing about empowered women and women in business and trailblazing women. So yes, feel free to email suggestions and you never know, one of them could be you. Next time on WNA Trailblazers, how's your physical self-care strategy? If you are stuck in in stuck mode or in survival mode or on that hamster wheel of achieving, there's ways out. And I certainly know when I was in survival mode, I just thought that I had to endure this forever. Really, really grateful that I had an excellent doctor. I went to see him one day because I was having chest pains multiple times a day. And he said to me, I actually don't know how you're walking around. I've never seen a blood pressure this high on somebody your age. You don't make some major changes. You'll probably have a stroke before you turn 30. Leadership communication specialist Mel Kettle chats to Cheryl about the importance of identifying things early and taking action. Women's Network Australia Trailblazers, amplifying the stories of women in business. Follow us from this podcasting app and be the first to hear new episodes. What's your story? We'd love to hear it. Or if you know someone who'd make a great guest in a future episode of WNA Trailblazers, drop us a line on the Contact Us page at womensnetwork.com.au. Thinking about making your own podcast? Welcome Change Media would love to help. Visit welcomechangemedia.com.au. WNA Trailblazers is a Welcome Change Media production. 